pleasure to meet all of you thank you singam talks for hosting me again so for the last 14 or 15 days there has been a huge controversy around what the bjp spokesperson uh, nupur sharma said on a televised debate right so uh, not many people have seen the content because most of the media houses pulled it down within a day but some of you might have seen it so let me start with just presenting a quick summary of what was stated and how and why it snowballed into a controversy so to start with on the 26th of may there was a televised uh, debate on the gyanwapi issue and there were some muslim spokespersons and there was also nupur sharma from the bjp so during the debate uh, the muslim spokesperson made some comments about the shivalinga which most of the hindus would have taken it to be an insulting comment okay so because he kept referring to it as the fountain okay so and a lot of people felt insulted for the simple reason uh, you know there is a little bit of history to go with go with this uh, you know <coughs> uh, when aurangzeb was the mughal emperor around 1668 1669 he issued an edict okay so he issued a firman to demolish the uh, temple at gyanwapi so that was the kashivishnatha temple and then to build a mosque on top of that so even today this doesn't even require an expert archaeologist to come back and tell you that this is what happened because all aurangzeb did was to demolish the gopuram of the temple okay and then built a dome to turn it into a mosque so apart from that even the outer walls of the uh, what is mosque today it is having uh, sculptures which are distinctly and unmistakably hindu okay uh, so it started that way and then what happened was the gyanwapi uh, where they had it's called the well of knowledge right that's literally what it means and uh, then um, in gyanwapi uh, it's been turned into what they call wazukhana okay among the muslims before they enter the mosque they will go and then they perform ablutions which is they'll wash their feet they will wash their hands everything before they enter the mosque for offering their prayers so for hindus this is a very degrading thing because there is a, a shivalinga which has been unearthed which is being disputed but i think all the indications are it is a shivalinga and then uh, one of the archaeologists from the archaeological survey of india also pointed out that this shivalinga could go back to the gupta era okay, which is around 4th 5th century uh, ce so it's a pretty uh, old shivalinga that had been uh, ins- installed there but regardless for the hindus at the end of the day every religion uh, boils down to beliefs okay so uh, what we consider sacred or what the practitioners of other religions consider sacred it all boils down to matter of belief so for hindus uh, this is the shivalinga one of their most uh, sacred uh, icons and then uh, this was not only demolished and then the temple was demolished and to humiliate the hindus and a mosque built on top of that but also on a daily basis muslims are going and washing their feet and then on top of that when somebody uh, sarcastically calls it a fountain i can understand why the hindu spokesperson would have got agitated over that okay and then responded the way nupur sharma did okay so what did she actually say and what is the uh, you know what makes it really controversial is it factual that's the first question we should be asking right so nupur sharma made three observations you can just paraphrasing the first one she said uh, well for all of that the pre the preamble was she said look you are marking shivalinga so i can also mock your religious beliefs i can also quote the quran the hadiths and other things and mock your belief for example your quran says the earth is flat that was the first observation she made the second observation she made was uh, your hadiths they talk about uh, prophet muhammad uh, traveling uh, it's called miraj in islam they uh, travels on a horseback or a or the, or the back of a mule uh, overnight to heaven and he returns okay so uh, you know the the entire myth of flying horse i can also mock that okay and then would you like me to do that and then she goes on to make the third observation which i think is really what uh, agitated the protesters okay so the third observation was she said uh, prophet muhammad who was 53 or 54 uh, married a 6 year old aisha and then consummated the marriage with her when she was just 9 years old okay 
okay and this is already stated in the hadiths you know this is well known in the islamic tradition okay and um while i am uh, guessing so you know i think it's very reasonable to say that uh, this is the comment that got most of the people agitated however the important thing to remember is that uh, uh, every media that covered the issue did not reproduce the comments that were made by nupur sharma all they said was she made a controversial comment that insulted prophet mohammed okay and uh, if we just rewind and go back the last few years charlie hebdo controversy or the danish cartoon controversy everything in all of those cases the same modus operandi was followed now nobody will know none of the protesters will know what exactly were the offensive contents okay what is so offensive about the cartoon that we are all protesting like this and we are all indulging in violence okay uh, very few people would know of that instead uh, there will be a large body of mullahs and others who will go out and then who will instigate the masses saying that the prophet has been insulted and we have no stand up for his honor so people then don't ask a question and they come out and they start protesting and this is uh, not something new this has been uh, going on for uh, literally uh, uh 100 you know uh, 1200 1300 years since you know islam was islam came into existence so this is the one you are seeing on screen uh, is from muhammad ibn al-razi okay al-razi was a very famous uh, philosopher who lived in the 9th century and this is what he observes okay he says every time uh, islam is challenged muslims or islamists in this case they respond with anger and violence and they go and spill blood and they kill anyone Uh, who is bringing up a rational uh, inquiry and this has been a problem with islam this is what he observes way back in the 9th century he was a very famous uh, philosopher uh, and one of the uh, brightest minds early islam produced you know where he was uh, writing the history of medicine and translating a lot of texts everything and this is what he observed and very little has changed 12 years down the line because uh, often what he notices all it takes is for a small number of propagandists to Uh, launch a campaign saying that the prophet's honor has been insulted and then the muslims have to protest or even indulge in violence and then large bodies of muslims respond by this i'm not saying that all muslims do that i do think most of the muslims may not even have any clue about the issues and may be totally indifferent to the issue like uh, the majority of hindus are uh, but there is substantial body which is willing to come out and write and that should be a matter of concern for us okay so now uh the comment that uh, would have got everyone agitated uh, is you know while the other two comments can be interpreted uh, you know either as oh, hey this is a little bit nebulous we do not know the quran says the earth is flat there are some muslim apologists who are trying to deny that and similarly uh, the the miraj where mohammed goes on a mule overnight uh, can be again explained away as something symbolic okay i'm not saying those things are symbolic those were Uh, literal when the hadiths were written uh, they, they were intended to be believed as literal facts but uh, i also know that there are muslim apologists who try to explain it okay however the most embarrassing one is the episode of mohammed marrying a 6 year old girl okay so and then consummating a marriage when she, she was just 9 years old okay so this is something which disturbs most people okay and this is something uh, an, an islamist would not want to be publicly discussed but the first question we should ask is is what uh, nupur sharma said true okay so yasir qadi is an imam uh, he is a pakistani american imam and one of the uh, very very conservative muslim clerics okay and a scholar and a highly respected one at that what he says about this same uh, controversy okay at what age did um, uh, mohammed marry aisha you know yasir qadi he is confirming the standard islamic uh, position as to the age of marriage of aisha and the age at which the marriage was consummated which was exactly as nupur sharma said and so whatever she stated was very factual so why does it then uh, become controversial i mentioned the reason but even more importantly if you look at the trend right like the bbc wrote an article and then they start the article by mentioning that uh, uh, any, uh, they are not going to repeat what nupur sharma said because it was highly offensive Okay. so it is no more offensive than what muslim clerics themselves have been preaching and it is exactly what they said but it could be the tone uh, which came which came across as offensive but 
the modus operandi we are seeing seeing is that whether it is bbc whether it's the western media or the islamists they don't mention anything about the content of his speech and instead they instigate the rioters by telling that prophet muhammad has been insulted and hence they should fight for his own okay and this is something which arif muhammad khan calls street power which they repeatedly exercise and then uh, this is something society has to deal with uh, only by uh, a legal application of force because you cannot yield to uh, street power the more and more you yield to that the uh, sooner you will be losing civilization sooner you will be losing all kinds of freedom okay however is there something for which nupur sharma can be criticized i think she can be Again, and uh, i am not saying i am not saying that there is anything wrong in what she said but then she also came representing the bjp okay so bjp is not just any political party it's a national party and it's the ruling party and then uh, this is the party which is probably going to rule india for several more years to come and affect very important changes that means as spokesperson she is not just representing hindus she is representing all indians okay regardless of whether they may have voted for the bjp or not okay so that being the case it's very important that she doesn't come across as someone you know who is uh, not having gravitas okay so for a spokesperson the gravitas is very important okay uh, in, she could have very well handled the situation differently by uh, pointing out that the mullah who's calling it a fountain is actually a hate monger and then um uh, uh, and then hence appeal to better sensibilities and taken the moral high ground which she did not okay and i think that is something which uh, any spokesperson should watch for in the future because you are uh, overall representing the party and that gives an easy uh, excuse for someone to target you based on that but apart from that there's nothing wrong in any of the contents she mentioned okay so then where is really the problem the real problem is with Uh, sections 295 and 153a of the indian penal code okay so every time uh, an offense is caused to somebody's religious beliefs or sentiments okay uh, you can be arrested okay and then you can be treated as a criminal ideally what should happen is the right to blaspheme should be part and parcel of free speech okay so i should be free to uh, say anything blasphemous okay so long as i am not instigating violence i should not be targeted and only those who are calling for disruptive protests and those who are calling for violence they should be punished by the law unfortunately these two uh, uh, sections of the indian penal code which were legacies of you know british colonial era uh, they are causing problems for hindus uh, because any time a hindu goes and criticizes or even quotes something from uh, the quran or the hadiths uh, he can be accused of hurting somebody's religious sentiments Okay. and uh, so this is something you know in the longer uh, term uh, hindus have to work with the bjp to scrap these laws so that the right to blaspheme should be part of free speech nobody can be targeted for that and rather those who are calling for violence which happened in the case of nupur sharma there were calls to murder her uh, there was a bounty of 50 lakhs placed from pakistan and another uh, you know aimim inquilla placed a bounty of 1 crore rupees on her head and calls to rape etc and those are the ones who should be uh, punished so this is about the nupur sharma controversy part of the episode now coming to uh, gyanwapi okay uh, so gyanwapi and uh, you know uh, what we are what we are seeing is is this the uh, only uh, temple that was demolished the answer is no okay and uh, for example um, the actual count of the temples that were raised by the muslim rulers uh, is yet to be finalized but the numbers vary significantly as many as 40000 temples might have been raised but sitaram goyal tabulated a partial list of 1800 temples okay, based on the chronicles written by the muslim writers themselves they were the contemporary accounts he summarized 1800 of those okay regardless we are looking at a very significantly large number of temples that were uh, desecrated that were demolished and mosques built on top of them so what should be the right approach let's start with the gyanwapi uh, temple and then the mosque that stands right over that spot okay so there is a really uh, good book which most of you should consult it's by professor vs bhatnagar it's uh, the title of the book is emperor aurangzeb and destruction of temples all he has done is he has summarized all the court uh, chronicles and the 
uh, edicts that were issued by Aurangzeb himself. And Aurangzeb in 1668 or 9, he orders the demolition of the temple, the Kashivshanath temple. Okay. So this is a first-hand account. It was a, an edict that was issued and then the temple was raised right after that. And then it took uh, uh, years after that, uh, you know, centuries after that for even a partial reconstruction of the temple. So the temple itself uh, was raised by Aurangzeb and there is very little doubt as to that happening. And then second one, this picture was taken uh, sometime in, uh, you know, uh, sometime in uh, 1868 or something. You know, this is called uh, Gyanwapi, okay, the well of knowledge. This was taken by uh, uh, British photographer Samuel Bourne. He took a lot of pictures. He took some of the pictures in uh, Kangra region, but only other major temple town where he took pictures were uh, was uh, Kashi, Varanasi. And then he was very meticulous. And this is a subject uh, where I have a lot of personal interest too, because I shoot film. Okay. So this one follows an old technique called albumin. Uh, in this, you know, the negative is on a glass plate. And then what they take is they take a cloth and then they treat it with the egg yolk and then they generate print on top of that. So, uh, so this was a picture he had taken of the Gyanwapi sometime in 1868. And after that, uh, the, at present, uh, many of these uh, icons, everything are no longer there, uh, which opens up the possibility that, you know, uh, the defacing of the um, walls of the mosque of Gyanwapi may have gone on even in the last hundred years. Okay, so, but this is, you know, something uh, which has to be determined. And I think the photograph itself is authentic uh, because it was well annotated by the photographer and it is uh, put up on display at uh, Sotheby's. Okay, Sotheby's is a big auction place. And then they do a lot of uh, uh, checking on the uh, uh, provenance of the photograph or anything they put up on auction. So in this case, I think the provenance is pretty clear. Okay, so, so, um, so in this case, um, I think that is an important appeal I would like to make to Muslims, okay, not just to Hindus, right? So, and look at it this way, you know, when you look at a church or a mosque, okay, those are not sacred places to Christians and Muslims respectively. Those are the places where they congregate, where they pray, where they may listen to, ser they may listen to sermon, okay? And maybe one or two places like uh, Kaaba, may be sacred to Muslims, okay? And then some of the temples, some of the churches uh, where the nativity stories of Christianity are associated, uh, they may be um, a little bit sacred to Christians, but then uh, the sanctity of the place of worship is very, very different in Hinduism, okay? So, so for Christians or Muslims, the locale does not matter, okay? Uh, whereas for Hindus, the locale matters, okay? Uh, when uh, that's the reason every one of the temples, you have a Stala Purana. Okay? And then, uh, for example, you know, if you take uh, Krishna, okay, there are temples for Krishna all over the place. You know, it could be in Mathura, it could be in uh, um, uh, Guru Ayur, you know, it could be uh, in any other place. Uh, but the bottom line is, uh, for Hindus, each one of them, uh, there is Stala Purana, there are Leelas of Krishna that are enacted locally. And then everything takes a very locale specific uh, meaning and the sanctity to go with it. So this is why for Hindus, uh, a temple is very important. And uh, uh, there is an excellent book by Professor Meenakshi Jain. It's called Flight of Deities. She talks about uh, many temples that were raised, but she starts with the ones in, uh, you know, today's Pakistan, some of the temples in today's Pakistan. And she talks about how even after the royal patronage ended, even after the temples are raised by the Muslim conquerors, how the local Hindu community time and again uh, did everything to rebuild the temple and to start the worship once again. So this is because the locale is sacred for Hindus. Okay, It's not as if, look, you demolish this temple, let me go and build another temple elsewhere. It doesn't work that way. Okay? And this is why forests, the rivers are sacred. This is why uh, forests, the vana, the mountains, they are all sacred in many of the mountains. Uh, not only the local tribes, but even other Hindus from other parts of India uh, won't set their foot on top of the mountain. And rather sometimes, you know, they will do what's called Anga Pratakshana. Okay, so they will just roll on top, uh, you know, roll, roll all through the uh, pilgrim route. So for Hindus, uh, it is not, first of all, 
today's Muslims cannot be held guilty for the intolerance shown by the Muslim emperors, whether it is Mughals, whether it is other sultans, uh, for the for their acts of intolerance, we cannot hold today's Muslims responsible. Okay. And this statement has a converse too. Okay, the converse is today's Muslims don't have to treat the legacy of the Mughals or other Muslim conquerors as their own legacy. Okay. Because the Sanskriti of Hindus and Muslims is the same. It's the Hindu Sanskriti. So they don't have to own up for the crimes committed by the Mughal emperors. In other words, they don't have to defend it. So here is a very simple proposal. right? So this was actually proposed by uh, Maulana Wahiduddin Khan uh, during the Ayodhya controversy. He said, you know, Muslims should come forward and hand the temple over to the Hindus. Okay, that will that will generate goodwill. Okay, and I am going to close with this appeal. Why not a section of right-thinking Muslims come forward and say, uh, thousands of temples were raised. Uh, however, here is what we as Muslim community will do. We'll come back and offer 108 of those uh, disputed sites. Okay, where. Uh, Temples are raised and mosques built on top of that so that Hindus can go back and rebuild their temples okay? and then relocate the mosque to another location, okay? so, which is not a problem for Muslims, okay? because it's not the locale that matters. And uh, as a more of as a gesture of goodwill, you build a mosque nearby. Then what will really happen is it is not the count. It's not the 108 temples that are being, you know, revived. Okay, It's not the Muslims coming up with a certain count okay however what is more important is today the only conversation that happens is muslims either deny that uh, a mosque was built after raising a temple and second sometimes there are very insensitive comments like what happened on the debate where they will keep referring to uh, the shivalinga as a fountain in a very sarcastic manner Okay, and then in many of the places that were converted into mosques, they will go and then they will perform ablutions like washing their feet, etc. Okay, on uh, uh, icons that were very sacred to Hindus, that are sacred to Hindus. Okay, so what this will change is this will change something very substantially and very uh, fundamentally. Okay, uh, instead of Muslims defending those actions, they'll come back and say, look. Uh, we cannot change the past history, but these things happen. Okay, so and then we uh, will give back 108 uh, of these disputed sites to Hindus, so you can rebuild the temple, and then you help relocate the mosque to a different site. I think this problem can very well be solved. Okay, with that, and uh, and in doing so, if we take such an initiative, I believe we will also start bringing out a section of uh, Muslim community, which could be uh, only nominal Muslims and uh, those who are not hardcore Salafis or Wahhabis, and also those who are ex-Muslims and others, their voice will find a place in the discourse. But more importantly, uh, the extreme radicals, the Islamists, and then the leftists won't be able to hijack this conversation, communalize it, and every time uh, indulge in the denial game to just prolong the problem. Okay, that would be my suggestion. And with that, I will pause. Happy to take any questions. So Poonam ji says that no one is mentioning the content and tone of the Muslims when they have been seriously abusing Ram, Sita, Mata Kaushalya, Durga, Brahma, Saraswati, Ganesh, you name it. So, Absolutely. In fact, it's not only that, right? And uh, uh, what is the Islamic Shahada, which every Muslim should recite? Okay. There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his final prophet, seal of the prophet. Right? And what does it mean? It means all it's a denial and rejection of all Hindu divinities, Shiva, uh, Vishnu, Krishna, uh, Kartikeya, everyone. Right? It's a complete denial of all the Hindu gods. So, and if you look at it, uh, you know, Muslims are not, Islam is not teaching anything about Allah. Okay? It doesn't say, hey, this is Allah, you go and worship him. In fact, it starts with the proclamation that you reject and deny the divinity of uh, all Hindu gods. That's number one. And then number two, uh, Muhammad is his final uh, prophet, okay, which means all the other uh, Hindu sages who came afterwards, Ramanujacharya, okay, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then you have Guru Nanak and others, okay, then you have uh, uh, numerous others, uh, you know, uh, Narayana Guru and many others who appeared in the last century, Swami Vivekananda, 
and then Ramana Maharishi, you have to reject all of them. Okay, this is exactly what the Muslims are doing. So should we feel offended? Okay. So I think we should feel offended. And uh, then, but we cannot react violently. I think for all of these things, the best thing is to exercise free speech and tell them why Islam is a terror. Okay, and then uh, mock Islam, okay, for being an intolerant religion. Okay, and then uh, I think that's what we should be doing. But then the point that was made by Poonamji is absolutely correct. And, uh, uh, you know, we focus on the comments they make about uh, Sitama or about uh, Kalima and others. Uh, but even more fundamentally, right, the Shahada itself is uh, one of heaping insult on Hindu divinities. Thank you, Venkatji. But uh, the question here is that nobody reacted violently. I mean, as I said that we don't have to react Correct. violently. But uh, right. Nupur Sharma just stated as it is. And uh, when you say that BJP as a party, I mean, I'm just playing a devil's advocate. BJP as a party is not supposed to uh, respond back and we should try to get those blasphemy laws out and everything. That's a long process, which, will, which we are trying to do since a long time. So the question right. here is that, uh, why this authority to these other parties to keep abusing and saying whatever they feel? I mean, calling for death threats and also, you know, all these uh, different things that they keep saying all the time, which, I mean, the Hindus don't find, file any um, 295 or blasphemy kind of, uh, that doesn't apply. But but still, there's no FIS law against these people. So um, how does this all work? I mean, how long can you keep listening to them? No, you, we should not be listening, right? So that's why, you know, the uh, uh, the first one, right? If we don't get rid of 295 and 153, okay, it is uh, going to hurt Hindus really bad. Okay, so that's why I think I don't think it's impossible to do this, and I think these two can be got rid of. You know, Sai Deepak has been talking a lot about that over the last few months, and I think it is doable. We should do. But the question you are raising is very, very valid, right? So when uh, others are insulting Hinduism or uh, you know insulting Hindu gods. Um, nobody even bothers. Okay, there is no FIR for, filed. You know, nobody is arrested, and uh, and the Hindus are obviously not calling for violence. Okay, some Hindus may feel hurt. They may express their hurt in a by exercising free speech, but nobody is reacting violently. And uh, that's why I think in these cases we need one comprehensive law that legitimizes blasphemy. I am absolutely at freedom to blaspheme everything. Okay, uh, regardless of the religion, and only those who are issuing a call for violence or call for protest and other things, that should be criminalized. And those people should be arrested and thrown behind the bars. But however, coming to this particular episode, I think uh, a large number of uh, you know, Islamists who have been making this kind of statement have been arrested. Right? Like, for example, three or four days ago, uh, UP police uh, was sent by Yogi Adityanath to Tamil Nadu, okay, where they went and they arrested an Islamist who had given a death threat to Nupur Sharma. And in fact, in less than 24 hours, the police traveled from UP to Tamil Nadu, arrested this person, took him back. Okay, So I think in this, on this occasion, what the government has done is to crack down on a large number of Islamists and, you know, book them and uh, arrest them, etc. Uh, so I think from a tit-for-tat perspective, I think it is fine. But in the longer term, uh, I would like to have blasphemy as a fundamental right, right of free speech. Uh, thank you, Venkarji. And uh, the next question is, as you mentioned, that uh, the Muslims cannot be blamed for what uh, the, the Mughals did or whatever. But if they support it or they, uh, you know, are proud of what they did, then th that's a problem uh, which is there. Uh, so, what is this whole mentality that uh, these Muslims, you know, they, they continue to abuse without any shame or apology or uh, keep attacking Hindus? Uh, what exactly is this mentality? Uh, that's why I was, you know, showing that slide of Al-Razi, right, from 9th century. And see, this is, uh, there, are, there are two types of religions, right? There are certain religions, uh, especially Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, and all of these. Uh, Eastern religions, for lack of a better word, uh, they don't have dogmas. Okay, so then you know they uh, they are very open to interpretation. Okay, they are very open to philosophical discourse. You have different siddhanta, and they are very open to challenge. Okay, even if you look at something like the Bhagavad Gita, uh, the first few chapters are, uh, you know, Krishna is not giving dictates for Arjuna to follow, but Arjuna is raising a lot of questions and Krishna is forced to respond back, okay, and give explanations, okay. Uh, Islam, on the other hand, is a very dogmatic religion, 
okay and it uh, makes a set of proclamations and then you have to accept those you cannot challenge those and this has been the uh, reality from the very beginning that's why al-razi talks about the moment it is challenged you know it can be called as an insult to religion insult to prophet muhammad and then uh, uh, activates a section of islamist goat and protest but then nobody speaks up because the entire notion of critiquing okay internal critique is completely lacking in islam okay so this is a very fundamental problem okay it's a religion that would have been anachronistic even in the 7th or 8th centuries okay and today it definitely is okay and uh, this is something the, there's only one one way to deal with it okay so with these kind of problems the more concessions you make you will be reinforcing and strengthening the hands of the islamists right who are writing on the street who are displaying street power so the only way out is uh, uh, look free speech is everybody's fundamental right okay so you may hold islam sacred you may hold all of these narratives sacred others need not and others can mock and others can make fun of it others can ridicule it or others can very seriously critique it it's their choice and you can respond back intellectually and this is the message that has go out and then when it doesn't that's why there's an excellent book called skin in the game by nicholas nasim talib and he writes about uh, why the intolerant and intransigent minority always wins unless the majority says we will not tolerate intolerance anymore what is the signal that goes to the common man when uh, nupur sharma is suspended for simply stating what is there and to responding back as a normal citizen uh, that uh, percolates right down till the common man the, the sentiment the motivation breaks down that you cannot say this because you're not going to be supported by a supposedly hindu party uh when you say these things so what is the way out and how do we make sense of it and how do we continue this debate because by doing this they shut down the option of even debating prophet mohammed who is i think great right. allah also so i mean you right. say anything against him and they go berserk allah will not uh, you can say anything about allah exactly so i think i think the problem you mentioned is a genuine one right so uh, you know what this is doing is this is shutting down any debate any discourse okay so now the only one which is allowed is the whitewashed narrative that you know the uh, leftists and islamists have manufactured and people should now repeat only that okay that is terrible for any civilization and particularly india and the her hindu civilization right and then uh, but taking a step back right and uh, i think an ordinary hindu has every is completely justified in feeling let, in feeling let down okay so you know nupur sharma spoke the truth and you know she has been thrown under the bus okay but again this is where you know hindus also need to take a step back and look at the big picture okay just that a day or two prior to that uh, external affairs minister jayshankar was in europe right and uh, uh, the responses he gave completely went viral uh, because he was calling out uh the white supremacy he didn't use the word white supremacy but that was well understood of uh, nato and uh, you know all the european countries and america in general and then uh, he said he, he effectively he refused to budge right he said india will not do the american line okay india will do things in her own interests by balancing against values and practicality that's what we'll do okay so if you look at it uh, for indian economy uh hydrocarbon fuels are very critical okay so because uh, uh, your economy can crash your econ- economy can boom or it can go into a crawling mode depending on uh, how much we end up paying for the hydrocarbons right so so if you look at this particular episode it was on 26 uh, nupur sharma's interview came but then qatar and others they started issuing the diplomatic note only on the 6th okay so some, something happened in those 10 days right so and uh, there was some power okay that was telling all these uh, islamic countries now go and issue a statement okay because and you know i can uh, hazard a guess my guess work is it's the us okay uh, so because you know us is really annoyed over the fact that india is importing russian oil okay and uh, india is doing the right thing okay it's needed for indian economy india will do that okay and then india is not following the us Uh, line uh, in the entire ukrainian conflict which is also perfectly correct okay the indian stance is correct okay uh, because america has been waging permanent war since world war 2 right and then uh, if the world wants to apply one yardstick to russia today they should apply it to america all these years they did not okay so india need not uh, become 
you know, uh, a lick spittle of the biggest uh, thug in the block. Okay, so India has taken the right stance. So uh, basically, you know, what America wants to do is to, uh, you know, create enough noise. Okay, and these things mean nothing beyond that. Uh, just, you know, uh, create a perception that, hey, now the uh, OAC countries can now bully India. Okay, so uh, they, they can get a few number of them and then they made a statement. But I think those statements are, uh, they have very short shelf life. Okay, and then uh, because right after that, India has signed uh, long-term contracts and MOUs with uh, Qatar and with uh, Kuwait and all the other countries. So, and India has also doubled the oil import from Russia right after that. So, so these things, uh, you know, the uh, while they create a lot of you know perception, a lot of media sound bites. In reality, they don't mean much. And from BJP's perspective, uh, you don't want a scenario where uh, you know your oil supply from OEC countries is, you know. Uh, is, there's a question mark around that, right? So, so they had to act out of compulsion, okay? Because the alternative is Indian economy is rebounding after COVID and everything, and then you don't want this to go into a tailspin, okay? So, so from that perspective, it is understood. That's why I made a point, right? So, it is one thing for a BGP spokesperson to say certain things in a televised debate, versus it's for an unaffiliated Hindu to say those things. Okay, so that's where I think one has to be careful. So how how does the common man now continue this debate on a personal level on Twitter or anything? I mean, how, what is our advice to them? To how so wherever we do it, right? Wherever we do that, uh, think of it. You know, the uh, censorship has been enforced by social media giants for the last several years. Okay, definitely last three four years. Okay, and then um, uh, a few execs at Twitter, a few execs at Facebook or even Google and YouTube can decide, we will not allow these forms of criticism, okay? And then they can straight away block you, okay? And then they can censor all those things, okay? So I think there is only one way out, okay? I think this is something we Hindus should have done for, uh, done years ago, but uh, we are late, at least now we should do that, which is uh, uh, abrogate uh, 295 and 153A and uh, make uh, the right to blaspheme a part and parcel of your fundamental right, okay? And this is time, I think it can be done, okay? So uh, bring it all under free speech. Uh, people will listen to that. And then we have to show the same result that Yogi Adityanath is showing in UP. Anyone riots, you know, bulldozer comes out, okay? And then the people are not spared at all, right? Like in Kanpur riots case, uh, people were arrested in less than 24 hours, okay? So you do that, and then the message goes out, the government is not going to tolerate riot. And then... Uh, for us to prevail, uh, we can only prevail with free speech. That means get rid of 295 and 153. There is no way out of it. Sir, sir, this Kazakir Naik, the Islamist who was expelled from India, I heard him speaking the same words that Nukul Sharma said, all about that at the a young age, you know, he married this uh, uh, his girl of seven, and then it was consummated at age of nine. And uh, when he, he says something, the the Islam the, the Islam is not is ex accepting it. But when a Hindu says the same thing, and there's a lot of Allah Balla and all that, it's very intriguing, you know. That how is no, he? That's yeah, that's oh, why I was mentioning. That's why I was mentioning for for Muslims, this is not really a problem, okay? Because in Islam, there is no minimum age for marrying a girl, okay? And then this is written in the hadiths, and that's why Yasir Qadi, Sakir Nayak, and all the others they have been always saying this, and uh, uh, that itself is not offensive to them. However, the problem is uh, that a girl who is six or seven could be married off, and uh, you know. Uh, uh, the marriage that consummated when she's hardly nine is not something uh, Muslim apologists would discuss publicly because while it is okay according to Islam, it is not okay according to uh, you know modern uh, worldviews, right? So that is why they turn it. But in this case, like I was mentioning, I don't think uh, any of the protesters had even uh, listen to those remarks, okay? Because, like I said, the modus operandi, uh, starting with you know Danish cartoon and every one of these things, Charlie Hebdo and everything, is not to uh, 
discuss the specifics and point out look here is what was told and here is why it is offensive no that's not the modus operandi modus operandi is instead to whip up hatred and a dog whistle and point out that mohammed has been insulted so now we should go and defend his honor okay and in this case uh, the 10 day gap before all these things started uh, makes me wonder that this was done by a lobby of you know pakistani americans okay well coordinated and in uh, uh, you know in a very 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 well coordinated attack they started it that's why you are looking at a 10 day gap my question is is there legally anything available in our indian constitution where we can defend ourselves when the muslim world is putting up so much of fight and obviously we are not people of violence so what is our recourse all this uh, intellectual talk is going on at a, at a very small level this is very meager but there is a vast population of hindus who don't even know what's happening so what is uh, some is there some kind of a recourse some kind of a way where we can bring about more awareness and defend ourselves i'm i'm not a legal person so i won't be able to answer whether there is any constitutional provision any legal provision that allows us to do that uh, but uh, the main point you touched upon was bringing about awareness uh, unfortunately ever since india became independent uh, the only portrayal of islam or christianity for the treason has been a whitewashed portrayal right that was written by the colonial rulers that was written by uh, leftists which is which completely whitewashes those religions and then uh, attacks everything which is hindu okay that has been the only portrayal we have been given and the only way we can change this Uh, is by bringing about awareness and to bring about awareness uh, we should have free speech okay and the free speech to uh, criticize attack ridicule other religions okay uh, using intellect and uh, uh, similarly to propagate uh, everything around hinduism uh, by the same yardstick you know i think uh, i am not very hopeful of indian constitution or its legal procedures for example uh, you know psychotropic drugs act right in 1985 uh everything from uh, cannabis to all the other drugs you know where they were all called drugs and then they were banned okay in 1985 there was not even a public discussion not even a parliamentary discussion reagan wanted it and rajiv gandhi enforced it that's it it was as simple as that so even though uh, something like ganja uh, cannabis is very very central in hinduism right and in lot of Shiv- shivji ka temple in north india and for the reason some of the southern temples uh, there is a tradition of giving prasad uh, which contains ganja okay so but these things were banned and there was not even much of a discussion so uh, i am not very hopeful of uh, constitution providing enough ammunition to hindus but you know the first thing we need to really get it off is 295 and 153a it's from uh, girish ji and girish ji says um where are all young hindus why are they not uh, voicing their uh, opinion is this the fundamental problem in bringing up the hindu way possibly you know i think a uh, lot of hindus are uh, full of apathy uh, you know towards everything right not only hindu religion but also our culture our traditions and all of these things what you find is a complete apathy uh, that is a problem but also i think it's in the Uh, nature of hinduism because ours is not a congregational religion right uh, uh, you know we don't have fundamentals and we don't have dogmas if you take christianity or islam uh, those who are born into those religions are taught those dogmas and they have to memorize those dogmas by the time they are 5 or 6 years of age and then that's what is told to them and reinforced in church and uh, mosques every sunday or friday respectively and hence uh, they have a very simplistic world view but they carry that world view with a lot of certitude okay which i think is actually harmful okay in contrast you know hinduism uh, you know what you have is a set of uh, 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 sanskaras and other traditions that are unique to your grama or to your uh, family or to your jati okay you follow those things and then when it comes to siddhanta when it comes to other uh, adhyatmic practices it's something you start exploring right when you are ready for that okay which is i think uh, uh sign of a healthy religion so uh, so that's why my general stance has always been not to change hinduism okay not to change hinduism to become like uh, abrahamic religion so that you know we also now can mobilize forces and we can also come to the street and riot my uh, stance always has been 
uh, hinduism on one hand and the abrahamic religions on the other not or not compatible okay uh, ideologically we have to eradicate the ideologies of christianity and islam and then eventually do a garbopsy of those people to hindu dharma and in other words uh, my stance is don't change hinduism okay get rid of the two threats to hinduism the two articles i think 295 and another one that talks about hurting sentiments uh, being illegal and is is that only for the muslims and the christians or hindus also can use it so the here's a genesis here is the genesis of these articles right so uh, about 100 years ago uh, there was a book written by uh, pandit lekram okay so it was called rangila rasul okay roughly translated it means playboy uh, prophet okay and it it was a uh, mockery and ridicule of uh, prophet mohammed of islam okay so then uh, this brought about violence okay somebody retaliated a muslim fanatic retaliated by stabbing and killing uh, pandit lekram okay so that time um, there was a court case and then the muslim side pleaded uh, with the british that you know you don't have blasphemy laws that's why these things are being written okay so introduced blasphemy laws so the uh, brits introduced those uh, mainly to appease the islamists at that time Okay. So also, then, sorry uh, to interrupt, but this Rangila Rasool was written in response to one of a very uh, vulgar thing that was written about Sita Mata and this. It correct. was a response to that. Absolutely, absolutely, right. And then, uh, then, then what happened is that uh, uh, the Christian missionaries at that same time were operating all over India, and then they were attacking Hinduism under the guise of reform. Okay, so they went to the British, and then the British administrators then they uh, said. Uh, you know uh, blasphemy is not to be allowed okay causing religious uh, you know offense is not allowed unless you do it with the intent of reforming so every time they attack hinduism they will say we are doing it with the intent of reforming hinduism okay so can we play the same game uh, uh, probably i think on paper you can but uh, i think the entire judicial ecosystem is filled with you know people who are uh, who have inherited this colonial legacy okay and then when it comes to Uh, they won't even allow uh, a, a reform oriented critique of christianity or islam okay they will because who decides right how do you prove the intent okay yet you know the the law itself the article itself is so laughable because it says uh, the intent to offend sensibilities how do you prove intent you cannot okay so it is all left to the um, whims and fancies of the judge and the we know which way they will interpret these things thank you uh, venkat ji and the irony is that uh, it was uh, i mean a, a two way thing and uh, they enacted this law to please these two minorities it's so strange sir mera ek sawal tha jab nupur sharma ne ye statement diya to uske baad 6 saal ke liye unko suspend kar diya gaya to is pe bjp apne karyakartaon ke sath itna wo kyu kar rahi matlab unko ek to suspend bhi kar diye upar se uske baad fir bhi ho gayi और इन लोग जब हमारे देवी देवताओं के नग्न तस्वीरें निकालते हैं तब उनके ऊपर कोई एक्शन नहीं होता सो द क्विक ट्रांसलेशन ऑफ द क्वेश्चन इज यू नो नुपुर शर्मा जी हैज बीन सस्पेंडेड एंड फॉर सिक्स इयर्स फ्रॉम बीजेपी एंड यू नो एफ आई आर सेन फाइल्ड अगेंस्ट बट वेर एज वेन दो मॉक हिंदुइजम डू ऑल दीज थिंग्स नो सच एक्शन इज टेकन आई थिंक इट्स अ वेरी वैलिड क्वेश्चन सो इन दिस यू नो द so sometimes right you know you have to concede a battle to win the war okay so uh, in in today's context you know if uh, america is going to activate the oic countries and uh, block the export of oil to india even for a week or two that's going to hurt the economy a lot okay i'm once again just entirely speculating right and we do not know that was the reason for certain but i think this is a probable reason why you know indian government acted the way it did uh, and uh, uh and then the uh, because uh, otherwise india will be compelled to uh, to the american line on the ukraine war okay which again obviously india doesn't want to do okay so uh, so 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 my my guess is it was done more as a compulsion okay so and uh, but at the same time uh, you know uh, somebody from this question should be put forth to somebody from bjp okay so uh, who can answer this question because i won't be the right person to answer that सर एक और ये पूछना था क्योंकि कतर के साथ इतना वो बड़ा उनका ट्रेड है नहीं 
एक ही बिलियन का तो ट्रेड है और जहां तक बात रही ऑयल की तो ऑयल तो इन लोग कहीं से भी मंगा सकते हैं कतर तो इतना छोटा सा देश है तो उससे सो आई थिंक द क्वेश्चन इज यू नो कतर इज सच ए स्मॉल कंट्री एंड देन द ट्रेड बैलेंस इज आल्सो नॉट वेरी एडवर्स टू अस सो यू नो व्हाई कांट वी गो एंड बाय ऑयल फ्रॉम एल्सवेयर राइट सो सी दिस वाज एक्चुअली नॉट इन दिस कॉन्टेक्स्ट बट द आंसर दैट जयशंकर गेव इन अनदर कॉन्टेक्स्ट इज वेरी पर्टिनेंट राइट सो ही सेड india can so he said uh, we go and buy the best oil from anywhere in the market right so one your spot market is always going to be more expensive number one right and then number two uh, america has also blocked oil from iran and uh, venezuela okay so this is a point that uh, jayshankar brought up okay that uh, creates a real physical shortage of oil okay in the world today okay so the challenge is not so much of the tra- trade balance between india and qatar okay so that is something india can easily handle okay but the problem is uh, you do not want a scenario where uh, see, see none of these countries qatar and uae and others are following the american line okay they don't want to okay so but unfortunately they are so dependent on the us so sometimes they have to uh, play to the tune right so what india would want to avoid is you know america fighting from Uh, behind the shoulders of these countries and the blocking export for a week or so and other things right so then that impacts our economy and that's not a situation you wanted to be in so i don't think the challenge is so much with qatar itself but also this uh, looking at the bigger picture there is something called the uh, uh, necklace of diamond strategy india has launched against china right so how we can you know uh, put a chokehold on china Okay, India has got no missile bases all the way up to places like Bahrain, Qatar, and other places. So that being the case, uh, at, at the end of the day, you know, politics is Rajniti is not about uh, you know just do this. It's not black and white. You know, sometimes you know um, uh, uh, yeah, because there's also ideas, right, which is a challenge to uh, uh, one border, one road initiative of China. So which is going through all of these countries. So there is a bigger. Uh, strategy at play here so sometimes you know you just uh, get over the problem uh, by indulging in this kind of a real politics which is not ideal which is definitely let down for nupur sharma ji but then uh, you know like i said uh, sometimes real politics does take over